0: The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information
1: about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. Today's reading is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches, you will boast. Instead of shame, you will receive receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will receive your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the peoples the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord my soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring before all nations
0: Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Grant. And just thanks, everyone, for hanging out with us this morning. Uh, We're going to dive into the message, Isaiah 61, which uh, Nathan just read. But I invite you to pray with me before we dive in. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. You are a God of second chances. You are a God of jubilee, a time to shout for joy. Lord, and as we continue to unpack what that year of Jubilee meant in the Old Testament and what it was forecasting that was going to happen in Jesus, Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to us, you continue to challenge us, to encourage us, to champion us, Lord, to connect us to Jesus, Lord, that we could be more like him to our neighbors, to our communities, to our families, and to our friends. Lord God, we say this all in her Son's precious name. Amen. Again, we are in a series called Second Chances. Uh, massive shout out to Lexi. She's actually right on the other side of the camera. And the, uh, the butterfly imagery, I love that, right? You have this kind of metamorphosis of it starts as one thing, but then it creates something else. I love, shout out to AJ, actually. He was the one who came up with the the sermon title, Second Chances, in the whole series that we were going through. He and I were talking through the year of Jubilee, and he's like, that's what it is. It's a giant second chance for everyone. It's, It's a second chance for those who have harmed others. It's a second chance for those who have looked at 2020 and like, what happened? The idea that God is a God who specializes in second chances, and in fact, if you read the Gospels, not just second chances, but 50th chances and 429th chances, or if you're like me, 1962 chances this month, we have this God who specializes in redemption. Last week, we looked at where the year of Jubilee started and how in Leviticus, it was the season that God had proclaimed an entire year of, where all debts were forgiven any brokenness in your past, everything was reclaimed back to their original owners because God says, it's all mine and I want my kids to have second chances in their life. And so we unpacked that. But then we did talk about how in the Old Testament there actually was never a historical event that we can say, hey, the year of Jubilee happened here. It was so hard. It was so countercultural. Even in those times, even in biblical times, who were living in a biblical authority, it was so countercultural, we don't even know if they were able to pull it off. But what we find in Scripture is that the year of Jubilee was never purely about or even primarily about what Israel was going to do. It was primarily about what God was going to do. And that's really clear in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is prophecy. And prophecy is something that in modern America, we sometimes get mixed up, especially because a lot of what we see in prophecy in things like fantasy books, right? And you guys know, I love me some fantasy. I love me some magics and wizards and dragons. And so if you are in one of those books, if you were reading Lord of the Rings or The Wheel of Time or whatever else, and you hear about prophecy, it's always talking about predicting the future, right? This hero will come. And while that is a small part of prophetic literature in the Bible, most of what prophecy deals with, most of what the prophets are doing within the Old Testament is not about predicting the future, it's about talking through what's happening in a current moment. What what is going on that uh, allows, what, what is God seeing happening among his people Uh, One second, I think the uh, this might not be plugged in, Tanner, Uh, so I'm going to see if we can get that. Anyway, uh, but the the whole idea of that was that, we're going to get there, guys, I promise. Um, The whole idea was that God would see brokenness. He would see sin among his people. And in that sin, in that brokenness, uh, he would call it out. And he would say there's going to be consequences uh, to that sin. And so the book of Isaiah talks a lot about that. And so the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are God calling out the sin and the brokenness that he's seen among his people. And he's saying, guys, you are not treating each other right. You are not treating me as your God right. You are buying into the worldly power You think if you have enough armies, you think if you have enough money, you think if you have enough of your own tribe around you, you will be protected and you can do whatever you want. But he says, guys, that is sin. That is the brokenness of this world, and there will be consequences for that sin. Punishment is coming. Not because we have a vindictive God who is up there saying, I just want to throw fireballs down, but because there is a dark consequence to sin. That's how the world was set up, that when we hurt others, Well, hurting people hurt people. And so the prophets would come and say, guys, if you don't stop this, there will be consequences. There are consequences to bringing in darkness into the world. Everyone ends up getting hurt. And so the first half of Isaiah is that. But the second half of Isaiah, chapters 40 and beyond, now that does actually get into what we would typically call prophecy. It foreshadows and promises that God is going to send someone after the consequences have passed, after the darkness has entered into the story. He says, but if you hope in me, for those who hope in the Lord, Isaiah 40 says, he will renew their strength And they will soar on the wings of eagles, and they will run and not grow weary, and they will not walk and not grow faint. And they are hoping in this promised Savior. And that's what we see in Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he anointed me. That's how Isaiah 61 starts. And these two concepts the Spirit of the Lord is on me and he has anointed me in the Old Testament. That was how God would declare, that was how you knew that God was about to use someone for his purposes. And so if you're reading through the book of Judges, right, and you're reading through uh, Samson, and how he would just go nuts on the Philistines, right, and he would rout them, and one man would fight 600, and he would win, the reason why was because we had a God who would show up in the spirit of the Lord. And that spirit of the Lord would fill an individual and he would essentially supercharge them, turn them into a superhuman abilities and they would wreck havoc for the kingdom of God. But the other way that God would appoint someone was there would be an anointing. An anointing was kind of like a baptism, but instead of using water, they would use oil. And God would send someone to be anointed. So King David, in fact, King Saul as well, were both anointed by God. They were chosen by God. And in that choosing, then God's favor would go with them wherever they went. And so it would help them in battles. It would help them in decision-making. It would help them lead God's people from a supernatural spiritual sense. And so when Isaiah starts off by saying, hey, this person will be both anointed and the Spirit of the Lord will be upon them, that is Old Testament speak for guys, the best of both worlds. Everything God has to manifest himself here on earth is going to be on this individual. And if you look at the back half of Isaiah, it keeps going back to this individual and what he is going to do. And what we see is that this individual is going to specialize in the year of the Lord's favor, in the year of jubilee, in the year where jubilee literally means to shout for joy, to have an entire year, an entire season. In fact, what we're going to see in Jesus is it's not just one temporal year, but now this is the entire kingdom of God and what he is going to do. Again, Isaiah continues on, "...to proclaim good news to the poor." He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Do any of you need to be bound up as brokenhearted in 2020? Do any of you need comfort because you've mourned the loss of loved ones or the loss of experiences? Have any of you grieved this year? Does that that promise of a crown of beauty and the oil of joy Praise instead t- of the spirit of despair. You see this anointed one, this promised Savior, this individual who would come and restore the year of the Lord's favor. It was always foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do. Jesus starts his public ministry in Luke 4 by quoting this exact scripture. This is his public declaration. This is why I have come, to mend up a broken world filled with broken people. And I think we can all admit, we've all had to look in the mirror in 2020 and realize, wow, we are a little bit more broken than we thought we were. As individuals, as communities, as a nation, as the church. And yet the promise In Isaiah, the promise in Christ is that he came to specifically specialize in mending, in curing, in bringing shouts of joy instead of despair. To bring an era of jubilee where we are no longer dependent on the things of this world and the power of this world. No, instead God promises us something different And again, as you read through Isaiah 61, that promise starts to come into focus. They, God's people, will be called oaks of righteousness, those in right relationship with God and each other. A planting of the Lord will display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord and you'll be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Right? There's this promise that God is going to restore and to renew. Because in the first half of Isaiah, God had said these are going to be the consequences Consequences of sin, the consequences of rebelling against God, rebelling against his divine favor meant they were going to be at the subject, at the mercy of the powers of this world. And so their literal physical nation was going to pay consequences for rebelling against God. And so God used that imagery, he used that language to let them know that he wasn't done yet, That our God specializes in renewing and rebuilding. But there was a gap between the language God used and where God was going and what people heard. And it's why they missed Jesus. You see, the Israelite and the Jewish people, they read those words. And what they wanted was to go back to the worldly power they had in the Old Testament. They wanted to be strong again. They didn't want Rome or Persia or the Babylonians or the Assyrians to rule over them anymore. They wanted to be the top dogs. That's where they thought God was going. But that isn't what God was doing. He was using that language to say, we're going to go somewhere new. And he talks about that later in Isaiah 61. But this is crucial to understanding where God is taking his church. God doesn't go backwards. God doesn't say, I'm going to take you back to the original Garden of Eden. He says, I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you your old nation back. He doesn't tell the Israelites, guys, I want you to have a worldly power back. Instead, he says, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to use what I did in the past to foreshadow something bigger and better and more beautiful that I am going to do in the future. But in 2020, all of us have been captivated by the past, right? We just want to go back to the way things were. And that might have been 12 months ago. That might have been four years ago. That may have gone 50 years ago. I don't know what it is, but all of us have wrestled with that. And don't get me wrong, there are real desires, and I cannot wait to be able to hug each and every one of you in the most awkward, side-hug Christian. You know what I'm talking about, right? I am giddy for that day. And God will restore us. But when we keep focusing on looking back to a former time, we lose sight on where God is taking us, what the promises of Christ are doing for and through us, for and through our community. And again, you see that in this next verse. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. Everlasting joy, even if there's a pandemic. Everlasting joy, even if your political candidate doesn't win. Everlasting joy, even when there are brokenness in your family. Everlasting joy, no matter your circumstances, we have a God who promises something that the world will never be able to give you. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as long as we keep our eyes on his promises, not our understanding of his promises, as long as we keep our eyes on saying, God, we want you to teach us what your word means. We don't want to superimpose our own values, our own assumptions on what your word means. Because in doing that, we see the fullness of who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, and that everlasting joy, that foundation that can never be shaken, that promise that will surpass anything the world will ever be able to give us, then becomes ours, and it reframes how we see everything, how we engage with everything, our posture with people, and our posture with the world. It creates something beautiful and powerful, holistic, and life-changing for us, for our families, our communities, and beyond. Because we have a God who cares about what is happening here on earth. Do not hear what I'm saying and saying this is just about a future heaven, a future earth. Once we die, we get there. That is not what Scripture is about. That's not what Isaiah 61 is about, right? It goes on and it says, For I, the Lord, I love justice. That's that word mishpat. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but that means biblical outcomes for everyone. I love biblical outcomes for everyone. I hate robbery, the Lord says, in wrongdoing. And in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offsprings among all peoples. All will see and acknowledge that they are people that the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices with my God. They will be among all people and they will care about justice, biblical outcomes in any situation. And they will hate wrongdoing. They will hate the wickedness and the injustice of the world. You see, our God cares very much what is happening here on earth and how we engage that and our posture towards that. But he gives us very different tools than the world will ever be able to give us of how we engage. How we wrap our arms around those who aren't like us and say, we still love you. We still want the best for you. And we still see the brokenness of this world and we mourn with you in that. But our God specializes in doing a new thing that will give us everlasting joy and an eternal covenant that the world will never be able to break. That the world... We'll never be able to give. Isaiah 61 finishes with this, "'For he, the Lord, has clothed me "'with garments of salvation "'and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness.'" his right relationship with people. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Guys, there is a God who wants righteousness and praise to spring up among you and your household and your neighborhood and your school and your business in our country and in countries all across the world. See, all nations would be blessed through this Savior, through this anointed spirit of the Lord, Savior, that God would send. You see, our God is seeking right relationships between him and us and right relationships between us and everyone else. Us and our world. And in 2020, we need that second chance. Or that 100th chance, or that 27,621 chance. Because all of us have bought in in some way, shape, or form to the promises of the world. And when those promises do not align with reality, with what we see, we are heartbroken, we're distraught, we feel like we've got those ashes on top of us. And the reason why is because we've taken our eyes off of the real Jesus unto a Jesus that we construct ourselves, that looks like us, that thinks like us, that acts like us. When in reality, our God isn't trying to go backwards. He's using what came before to foreshadow something better and more beautiful for us and those we love and our neighbors and those that we struggle with. Because you see, our God specializes in broken people, us and our neighbors. And so this, this concept, this reality that our God, our Savior, is a God of jubilee who shouts for joy, even in the midst where people don't recognize him, even when they keep looking back and they're like, no, 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 we want to go back here, and he keeps pointing forward, he goes, but guys, where we are going together forward, I promise, will give you everlasting joy. And so in that, there is tension, and in that, we have to have time of confession. We have to have time where we all admit, you know what, I'm I'm still trying to go back. I'm still allowing my sinful nature to cling to things, to cling to lies, to cling to actions, to cling to past mistakes or past wrongdoing or things that were done to me that we feel vindicated in clinging to. We, have to, we bring those before our Savior, this God who specializes in righteousness, and so I ask you to pray with me now as we confess before our God. Our God is good. Our God is pure, Lord, but we aren't. Lord, we're not righteous by ourselves, Lord, we don't want to be in right relationship with everyone. Lord, those who think differently than we do, those who vote differently than we do, those who come from different backgrounds or different experiences or have different opinions, Lord those who have not been in right relationship with us, who have hurt us. Lord we feel vindicated when we hurt them back. Lord God, we come before you now confessing that we are by nature sinful and unclean. Lord that we are the broken-hearted. Lord, and that we need you as a God who specializes in mending hearts in restoring our righteousness, our right relationship with you, but also our right relationship with everyone else. Lord God, we come before you confessing our times where we have let the the worldly powers dictate our earthly decisions. Lord, trusting in those aspects of humankind, of this physical existence, and not trusting in your eternal promises and following Jesus. Lord, we confess before you now, but we are bold to confess and hear this church because we have a God who says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive you your sins and from all unrighteousness, your sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more. We are in right relationship with the Savior and we are sent out to be emboldened agents of joy, agents of praise, agents of a God who specializes in the brokenness and teaches us to specialize in the brokenness as well. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share
1: this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.